Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Entrepreneurial Podcast. This brand new series celebrates small town entrepreneurship and is a collaboration between the Community Innovation Hub Commonplace and Northern Michigan's creative culture and outdoor lifestyle journal, The Boardman Review. We also lean heavily on our friends at Cold Shower Media for their audio editing ability. My name is Nick Beadleston, and I'm the executive director at Commonplace. I'd also like to thank our sponsors for this episode, the Cherryland Electric Cooperative. For more than eight decades now, they've helped keep the lights on for rural entrepreneurs and families across northern Michigan. Cherryland continually gives back to our region through their economic development loans, their commercial rebate programs, their scholarships, and charitable giving. They're also a co-op which means they're always membership-led and community-focused. If you like today's or any of our podcasts, please share them with a colleague, a friend, a stranger, your dog, whoever. And please also remember to subscribe, like, rate, and review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Okay, so today is part two of my conversation with my good friend, Pete Kirkwood, owner and proprietor of the Workshop Brewing Company. If you missed part one, please go back and give it a listen as it really does set the stage nicely for some of the things we talk about in this episode. And we do cover a lot in this episode. We talk about what it's like to expand to an exciting new location, but we also discuss what it's like to pour your heart and soul and your wallet into a project only to see it flounder. We talk about cutting losses and learning lessons and about how incredibly fundamental determination is for rural entrepreneurs. But that's enough of an intro. So here is part two of my conversation with Pete Kirkwood. So entrepreneurism, entrepreneurs, is such a big buzzword. Oftentimes, culturally, when we when we use that, you know, we're talking about those sort of high growth, high scalability things. All those, you know, unicorns is another term that the folks mm-hmm. love to use, and a lot of that comes out of the the tech sector and other industries. But for so many people, entrepreneurship looks like starting a mom and pop shop, starting a family business, creating multi-generational wealth, and maybe employing a couple of neighbors. Absolutely. Why even open a second location? That's a great question. Um, First of all, I think that whole um, scalability thing is a bit of a, like a false target. Because what do we really, if you get the choice, you can either run a huge business or <laughs> no, I guess I don't want to set up this dichotomy. But here's the just thing. You do not need exactly. to be enormous to ha- to live a fully content, happy life. Right. And ultimately that's what we all want. Mm. Right. Because guess what? The, the CEOs of gigantic companies are not measurably more content, happy, or experience higher levels of well-being than the managers of a small business that's that's kind of ticking over nicely like you don't have to scale to be happy um remember that everybody uh, so don't get seduced by this idea and you should create a great complimentary podcast that discusses all about that 
Yeah, right. Exactly. Check out the capitalist. Um, Link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, remember, like people say to me, why don't you, aren't you going to distribute? You could get your beer all over Michigan. And I'm like, why should I care what they're drinking in Saginaw? I don't care. Frankly, they should be drinking their own beer in Saginaw. In fact, every region should have its own proud tradition of the flavors that they love, the flavors of their place, their terroir, right? Um, when you go to, to France, you don't ask for an Australian Shiraz. You drink Bordeaux, right? When you go to Michigan, why on earth would you drink beer from Colorado or Milwaukee? So um, anyway, I don't want to grow like that. I want to build a business that delivers a satisfying life for me, meaningful work for my staff, respects and restores the natural environment and strengthens our local community. And I can do that without scaling. Scaling is like a, it's a chimera. It's like, what is the point of that? Why only do that if it serves your real priorities. And those priorities ought to be nothing more and nothing less than a contented and satisfied life for yourself and your staff. If you don't mind my making moral judgments on your show. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I appreciate you. And we should leave room. Like yeah. if I do this, if I franchise this and take it all across America, then there's some young, you know, ambitious young woman in in the suburb of Toledo who wanted to start a, a community, a village-based brewery. And I supplant that by bringing one that, that she can't do now. And admittedly, I plan to, to do multiple locations mm -hmm. within my one Beulah radius of Traverse City. But... Um, <laughs> We have a model which is modeled on the Zingerman's, mm -hmm. the Zingerman's uh, framework, uh, it, which encourages uh, sort of partner, either partner or partner-like involvement mm -hmm. in right. the in the upside of the of the business uh, uh, by our staff. And what I mean by that is like maybe there's somebody at, down in what did I say Thompsonville who would have otherwise started a local brewery, but. If I come in, they won't be able to, but, but my idea is I come in and I partner with them and I support them as long as they buy into our kind of philosophicals, you know, our, our values and our model, then I will support them in becoming my, essentially my, my partner in, in, in doing that there, because that, what better way to sort of build community than to get a community leader as, as sort of sponsor them, bring them in and make them, make them effectively the, the kind of day-to-day -day operator of that thing and give them the upside or give them share with them the upside that's yeah, the model absolutely and and i appreciate you checking the direction that was going in and, and not creating that dichotomy because there are some folks who for whom rather scaling does look like success and they have great ideas that should scale that should grow but it scaling shouldn't is not, be the brass ring for everybody bad right. it's just that like it's not the only path. You should grow path. to the level that maximizes, you know, the well-being of your community mm. um, and is in no further, right? And that's, you know, we know a lot about the kind of things that, that deliver well-being to individuals and communities now because there's a whole field of science and positive psychology and well-being that you can refer to, which is a whole other conversation. But, like, remember that growth and hugeness and, and, and frankly, income – are not uh, reliable proxies for happiness and well-being. Tim Young over at Food for Thought taught me once that his definition of community is, is anybody who's touched by his actions. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a huge definition. That includes global supply chains sure. for him. Mm -hmm. And everyone defines community differently. 
how did you how did you come up with that Beulah radius? That how how yeah. how far is that? Beulah's like forty five minutes, forty three minutes drive. Okay, I think, something like that. So from, you took a you took a, a protractor and a compass, and you I was like, went, how far am I willing to drive on a regular basis to sort of like interact with my mm. footprint? So it was it was partially a quality of life yeah. and also a practical. Yeah. And also that's where my roots are. I mean, my my mom's mm-hmm. side of the family has roots in Frankfurt, which is right across Crystal Lake from Beulah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was sort of as far as I wanted. Plus, Beulah is uh, we get to Frankfurt. You're at the lake. You can't go any further west. <laughs> you know <laughs> that is I mean? a major barrier <laughs> unless you get a barge. Uh, yeah, we thought about that because getting across Torch Lake, I can't really be in Bel Air because it's more than one Beulah. But that's because you have to go all the way around Torch Lake. It makes it too far. You could kayak and probably kayak know, faster see, than that's, you could drive on a good, with the wind. Yeah. I think you were asking me something about my radius. Um, yeah. Just where, where you came up with it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I guess it was just about that. It's kind of like, how far do I want to go? And um, how far is meaningful to me? And I didn't, like I said, I don't really want to have to, I don't want to travel for my work. I want to travel for fun, but yeah. And in, and about community, Oh yeah. I, I, the, the community part for me, the motto of the workshop project is nature, community, craft. And the kind of like subtext of each of those is nature is like, we say we want to not just fail to destroy, but we want to actively re, sort of uh, repair or improve the natural environment, undo some of the damage that humans have done. And that's nature, you know, community is like, we don't just want to um, ride along on the coattails of the strong community that we enjoy here in Traverse city, but we want to like, um, embody and reinforce it. And when we say craft, what we're talking about is meaningful work for our staff. And if you think about it, nature is like a global responsibility. Community is like a local responsibility and craft is like an individual responsibility. So we go from like mm. big to small when we're talking about our, our motto mm-hmm. of nature, community craft, you know, that was how we thought about it. I'm going to ask you a question, Pete, and I think you're going to have a hard time answering it oh, because, man. because of who you are. Uh-oh. Um, but so you have a small business, profit margins are thin. Mm. We've got a seasonal economy. Why even choose to focus on, on these things, on, on community, on global, on, because it takes time. It takes energy. It takes your scarce resources. Why, why even make that a priority for the workshop? Why would make which thing a priority? Really anything outside of just you know, breaking would, even. Right. What would narrowly be defined as the core competencies yeah. of a brewery. Well, I I really identify <clears throat> with Yvonne Chenard of Patagonia as being a kind of reluctant entrepreneur entrepreneur. I didn't I don't really identify as an entrepreneur. I kind of like do this because I don't really know what else I would do. Um and my I feel like I could have been doing what I'm doing now in any field that involved creating like human hands, like using human hands to create something which brings joy to other people. Like that inspires me. I like the idea. I want to see it in the world. I've been in tech. I've been a lawyer. I've done a bunch of other things. And this is what I love. I love seeing the products of our work in real time in the world. And I want to give joy to people. It could have been chocolate or cheese or coffee or wine. It happens to be beer. And I love beer as a platform because of all the historical and agricultural and and, you know, um, uh, cultural uh, baggage that it brings along mm-hmm. or, or implications right. that it, that it, and it, it impl- implicates all kinds of conversations about all these really interesting things. But <clears throat> I, 
I'm only doing this because it's satisfying to me and it wouldn't be satisfying to me to make money as a goal. Like I need to make a living. Everyone does. I have other skills that I could farm out if I was going to just try to make a living. You know, I've worked in as a lawyer, you know, I've worked in, uh, you know, construction. Uh, I started an advertising and copywriting company. Uh, but so like, I don't have to be doing this. And frankly, it's not easy at all. I've had a lot of problems <laughs> right. and it's been difficult. There's been many difficult right. challenges that we've had to overcome. And, um, and I was naive and, uh, you know, hubristical, if that's a word, I don't even know what the word is hubris. Um, but, uh, it's been really freaking hard. So you're right. Why the hell would I do this? And I guess, I, um, it's, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, the only terms on which I would do that. The only terms on which I'm willing to be a businessman, if you will, are terms are my terms. And my terms are I insist that it contribute to my own happiness, contentment, well-being, and that we honor nature, community, and craft. Those are my terms. World, if you want me to be a business person, that's my terms. If I can't do that, I'm going to do something else. I, I asked Bob Sutherland of, of Cherry Republic, uh, another well-known local business, um, does a lot for the community. Mm -hmm. I asked him a similar question and it, it was like, I just jammed a stick in the, the Schwinn spokes of the conversation. Really? And, and it took him a little while to answer because the, it, the concept was so foreign to him that he wouldn't use his business as a vehicle for, you know, championing these social and environmental causes right. and taking care of his people. Mm -hmm. And it's like, duh, that's what it's for. That's why we're doing <laughs> right. it. Right. It's whenever you talk with somebody who has these values, it's, it's so baked into the organization and, and what they've built that it's, it's incomprehensible that that wouldn't be a part of it. I cannot imagine a life that was in business where the only reason you're doing it was because it was um, lucrative. Now there, there is also a, a large and growing class of, of small businesses out there for whom, you know, maybe they were engaged in some kind of philanthropy, but really digging in on social or environmental challenges in their community. It's just, it wasn't a priority, but they do see the need for it. They, they see the imperative and they see the impacts that they could have. What, how would you, how would you, how do you actually talk to those folks and encourage them to, to start to get involved with even the scant resources that they may have? Oh man. Um, it's high time that we re-examined the purpose of commercial activity, right? And that's what young people are doing. They're like, wait, what is business for? Um, it, it like, wait, we've been defining business as like the reason you should do this is to maximize the return on investment for shareholders. Like, so in other words, the point of this commercial activity is to make rich people richer effectively. Hmm. That doesn't sound very inspiring, right? Like no, there's nothing wrong with making money per se. Right. But, um, capitalism is a human invention. It's a very effective and powerful and useful one. Uh, I don't advocate like burning it all down. But as a, it's, we made it, we can ask it to do whatever we want. We can ask it to enrich the owners, or we can ask it to strengthen our communities, protect our environment, provide meaningful work, or maybe all three. So, um, and any justification for a business like, like that, 
that is couched in how it will make you more money is like, I think it's like circular. So like, I don't think that the argument for being environmentalist or being socially conscious or, for, or provide or caring a lot about your workers, uh, should be invoked in order to, so that you can say, Hey, we're going to make even more money if we do that. That's doesn't make sense because the point shouldn't be the money in the first place. Yeah. You got to make money to make your business sustainable and everybody needs to get paid enough so that they can live a comfortable and happy life. But like the reason that we undertake this ought to be something other than enriching ourselves. Um, so I say to the young people, yeah, let's do that. Let's create a whole new way of judging what success looks like in commercial activity. We should be saying, I don't really care. I mean, if you're on the cover of Forbes magazine in front of your brand new Learjet, I think we should disdain you in front of, with your third $40 million yacht. I think that's despicable, frankly. Sorry, everybody. But like, that's how Capitalist I feel. Capitalist link in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, frankly, your $40 million yacht isn't delivering very much incremental well-being to you. And that money otherwise deployed could have delivered massive amounts of well-being to other people and frankly could have boosted your well-being at the same time so unless your goal is to have a yacht but be less happy you made a bad investment and let's not just make it uh, <laughs> an age thing you know about younger entrepreneurs or, or oh, younger sure, business yeah. founders because there Shoot, are i'm over 50 sorry yeah well, and I, I think there are folks that maybe they always thought one day i'd like to get to that but i, I just Business mm -hmm. currently, or you know, when I started, wasn't a tool for doing things like this, and so they're they're just now at a mature of, yeah. stage in their their small business. They're coming back around to that. That's true. I think a lot of folks in my generation are starting to sort of come around to this point of view too. And um, you know, I mean, we see that really the way that people have been doing things is a big part of the problem. Um, so I, anyone who wants to join the club of you know reinventing commerce. I would say the more the merrier. And it does feel like a rural setting is a great Petri dish for doing that. Because a lot of the norms are, <laughs> a lot of the business norms are looser. Or like non-existent. In, if there's right. not a thriving commercial activity in your village. You then, get to design it. Right. And that's one of the beauties. I'm so excited about this prospect of like, we get to be the kind of um shove that pushes that boulder over the top of the hill and see it rolling down the other side. You know what I mean? We get to be the tipping point for a little community and we can, and I think the way we push that boulder will determine where it ends up at the bottom of the hill. Like, and I think that once we're thriving in this, in this village, we're going to see other um, small businesses popping up alongside of us. Cause we're going to create traffic. We're going to create visibility. And I can't wait to see what, you know, Brownson Avenue looks like in five years. I really think it's going to be unrecognizable. Changing directions a little bit. This is not the first boulder that you've tried to push up a hill. <laughs> yes. Amazing segue, everyone. Sometimes it rolls back down and crushes you. <laughs> right. Let's let's talk a little bit about the remedy. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have been involved in, you know, not everything you try works. Um, we, when we were years ago and the workshop was in early stages and uh, the, the, uh, part of the building that we weren't already leasing came up for, for, um, for lease. And I was like, Oh, I really should get that because I don't want someone, I don't want to have some incompatible business in there with me. And I thought, <laughs> right. and I want to have room for expansion and whatever. So I leased it and tried to open a breakfast restaurant. I was already running a restaurant that was sucking. I was losing massive amounts of money. I thought, I know I'll open a second restaurant. Um, 
and it produced some of the most fantastic breakfast food that Traverse City's ever seen. And a, how. A lot of people are still nostalgic about the days of the remedy, but it was a massive loser for me. It was a hemorrhaged money and really almost totally tanked my whole project. So it doesn't always work out. Um, it wasn't your first rodeo, even within that industry. What do you what do you attribute some of those challenges to? Well, I mean, I was it was my first rodeo because my first rodeo was the workshop and its mm-hmm. kitchen, which is also failing at the time because I didn't I, I referred earlier to hubris and naivete. And that was me. I came into this thinking I'm a smart guy. I, I you know, have a lot of schooling and I had I had some capital saved up from when from when I had had been, you know, a high, well-paid lawyer in California. I thought I've got this covered if. You know, there's a lot of dumber people than me that have succeeded in this industry. I think I'll do it. And I l- rapidly learned that that was, I was, couldn't have been more wrong. All the skills that I had, all my efforts, my, you know, everything that I had, I poured into the workshop and then the remedy and none of it was enough until I learned the lessons that I needed to learn. So my, when people are like, should I follow my dream? And my, my advice to them is no. <laughs> my, I say first learn your shit because if you just follow your dream without understanding the industry or the business that you're getting into, um, you will fail. And that's heartbreaking to have your dream fail, you know? So the thing is, yeah, follow your dream, but first know your shit, learn, you know, read, talk to people, understand the way it works because the few, there were some fairly simple lessons that I now could articulate about how to run a restaurant that Mm. if I had known them (laughs) then and insisted upon them, I would not have, you know, lost half of the, my entire net worth mm-hmm. on the, on the remedy. Um, and it was my own hubris and naivete that, that sort of let me ignorantly plow forward without really understanding all that. So I would say it's really, really important to actually know your stuff before you jump into this sort of thing. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely, Pete. And, and I, I appreciate you being willing to talk about it because <laughs> it's no fun. We, we, well, and we put entrepreneurial successes up on a pedestal mm-hmm. and there is a, a, a huge survivor bias. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to, to talk about when folks are ready, some some of those challenges, some of those failures, and then also to highlight that, I mean, it, it's up to you. It doesn't have to be the end of everything. Yeah. Um, and you know, here's another thing that people don't think about very much, which is that every, for every, you know, Bill Gates and Elon Musk and whatever you name, your ostensibly super successful entrepreneur business person. Um, there are a hundred who were just as smart and worked just as hard and failed. Um, there, any success in, in most things in life involves a healthy dose of good luck and, Anyone who tells you otherwise is uh, trying to uh, take too much more credit than they deserve. <laughs> they're probably trying to sell yeah. you something. Or they're, they're, they're like, you know, the reason I made it is because of my own innovation, hard work, and whatever. Yeah, that's true. But it also, let's face it, there was a whole bunch of good of lucky things that happened to you, you know, out there. And um, unlucky things. <laughs> sure, you know, and growth experiences and learning and everything like that. But like, don't beat yourself up too much if it didn't. If you did your homework and you tried your best and it didn't work out, it's, you know, it's not you got to just pick yourself up and try again. Um, and yeah, I'd remember that luck plays a big role and, and you can help luck. You can help luck by being a good natured and kind person open to people's, you know, honest feedback and 
you know, bring humor and humility. Don't be naive and hubristical like I was. There's a Stephen Johnson quote that we use at Commonplace a lot. Chance favors the connected mind. Absolutely. Yeah. And I envy people who are natural at that, who are really good at um, bringing people in and getting them fired up about this project that they're doing. And that's a skill that I've, uh, I would love to cultivate more. I really, I, I have a bias towards like my own, I spend so much time thinking about my thing. So I figure I probably have a better idea. And sometimes I'm, I'm trying hard to like be more open to listening to other, maybe totally fresh sets of eyes coming into my thing. And entrepreneurial isolation is huge. And I think it is oftentimes exacerbated in rural communities. How mm, it sounds mm, like that's mm, something mm. that you're still working through and, and finding ways to cope with and finding outreach mechanisms. But how, how are you thinking about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, the technology does help us there a little bit. Mm. It makes it easier to connect mm -hmm. with people who might be similarly situated because, you know, uh, like I, I keep talking about this mythical suburb of Toledo, but like somebody in that place and somebody in Kingsley probably have more in common than um than someone who's nearer geographically mm -hmm. to somebody you know that might not have the same demographics or something so i think we can kind of do things like that. and also like if you're going to start a restaurant first thing to do get a subscription to restaurantowner.com and read every single thing mm -hmm. on there like you know do mm -hmm. go out to those resources and um thank you very much for your sponsorship no um <laughs> but uh really in the show notes. I mean, that those kind of things are there are resources out there now that were not available generations ago that you can become much, much more um, expert in your field before risking your life savings. That concept of the solidarity of the rural, not, totally. not just the geographically adjacent, mm -hmm. but the halfway yeah. across the country, but struggling with similar, similar demographics, similar challenges, sure. yeah. having similar strengths and opportunities. Yeah. I mean, not to get too political, but like to um, poor people in different parts of America have a lot more in common than two people of the same race, gender or religion in, in those parts of the country. Uh, different, you know, in at least when it comes to things like their immediate economic interests, you know, um, and their ability to problem solve. Entrepreneurism sure. the, the is problems so that they face, the actual problems underserved. that they face. Right. Right. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, there's so many ways of sharing now that and those can lead to social divisions and political strife, but they can also lead to, um, you know, avoidance of the remedy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh man. There's, yeah, there's something deep to that. Yeah. The real meaning of the remedy. I know. I love that. I love that name. Uh, I'm, I'm still kind of holding on to it. Maybe someday we'll see a resurgence. Well, one of the, the wrap up questions that I normally like to ask folks is, is something along the lines of <laughs> what advice would you give to, to other early stage entrepreneurs, other, other budding entrepreneurs. But I feel like you've already done so much of that, but is, is yeah, there, I think what, quick, what's Pete's biggest takeaway? The quick recap is like, only do it on your own terms. And if I may suggest those terms should prime fundamentally involve a life that is, that's satisfying to you, you know? And then the other critical thing is to articulate what feels like an inspiring vision for why you're going to do what you're going to do, because it will help you to attract people to help to, to participate in your project. And it will help you to motivate them. And it also will help you to manage them. Because if you say that we are committed to environmental protection or something, then 
they know what products to source and they don't have to ask you. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a mm-hmm. whole bunch, like mm-hmm. if you articulate clear corporate values, then a whole bunch of other problems get solved before, without even you needing to be involved in those. So that's, that, I guess that's my advice. Make sure you're designing a life that you'll be happy with when you get it and make sure that the thing that you're doing is you're doing it for a great reason and tell people that reason. I think that's a good note to go out on. <laughs> thanks for thanks for making time. I want to let you get back to schlepping concrete. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little sore today. I think I might take a break from that. But thanks, man. It's been really fun talking. Mm-hmm.